This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 220 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Wow. We Why had a big we week. say that? I know, we had Why a big week. Why don't we week, say though. wow? I don't know what else to say. Bam. That really don't work for me. It's a more of a <laughs> Batman type thing. <laughs> well guys... We, uh, I always say that too, so yeah. we'll just stop you before you <laughs> interject it. We had a fun week. We celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary in Gatlinburg. It was great, man. Weather was beautiful. It was just perfect. Yep. Saw some, a uh, couple of really good shows down there. Oh, I did have one thing to say. What? I did get sick. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a little advice. We went to a restaurant, and it was freezing. We had to wait outside, and so I wanted a cup of hot chocolate, which was to die for. Like, it was so delicious. Well, then (laughs) I ordered hot crab dip with pita bread. I will tell you, those two do not go together, (laughs) like, at all. I think most adults would have probably figured that out ahead of time. Well, I know, but I didn't really think about it. I don't know what the deal was, so I couldn't finish my salad. I couldn't even look at it, and we'd go outside to the parking lot. <laughs> and I'm like, Jerry, I'm going to walk over here to this behind the bush. <laughs> oh, it was not a pretty sight. <laughs> After that, it felt good, though. But, yeah, it was gross. But other than that, it was a great time. All right, before we get into the story, and we'll tell a little bit more about uh, some of the stuff that, that happened as we get on, but uh, before we get into it, obviously, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank all of you for everything that you do in these trying times. Yes, we appreciate you guys so much. We love you. We pray for you every day. I, I don't know how you keep going the way you do, to be honest. I just, I don't know how, but you somehow muster your inner, I don't know. Something. Your inner uh, superness or superhero-ness. <laughs> I don't know how you all do it, but God bless you all, and, and we love you all so much. Right, and also, we want to remind everybody that if you're going through a tough time, if you're struggling, if you're just uh, you know needing somebody to talk to or somebody to just listen, uh, then we're here for you. We've also got uh, the Hillbilly Horror Stories group on Facebook that you can become a member of, 5,000 people that are just willing to give you words of encouragement when you need it. I've seen lots of uh, examples of that, especially in the last couple of days. Mm -hmm. And uh, always proud of of our members for coming to the rescue of anybody who needs help. Yeah, our group is amazing. We love you guys so much and appreciate y'all being there for everybody. And of course, if you would rather 
talk to someone else, you can call the 800 number at 800-273-8255, or you can text them at 741-741, and just please reach out to us. Everybody's there for you. We love you guys. All right. And as usual, this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. That is found at elyucateco.com. You can find any of their hot sauces there on their website, but you can also find most of them at most major retail grocers such as Walmart and Target and have seven different flavors. They do that. Five of which are having herbal based and they are hashtag king of flavor. You know, I ate the crap ton out of some scrambled eggs this weekend. Yes, you did. I did. And I did it. Now it's to the point where I don't want my scrambled eggs unless they have that hot sauce on them. Like seriously. Like I love it. It's so delicious and that's all I know to tell you. I know, Just gotta we, try it. We went to the one pancake place, and they had another brand on the table. And Tracy just looked at it and said, "That's just gross." Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you get used to you do you get used to El Yucateco, and you know I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I didn't think that there was a big difference in hot sauces. Now I know of the cayenne pepper All hot right. sauces. There is you know from one brand to the other some. Some are definitely different because there are some that are better than the others. But mm-hmm. I guess, you know, my experiences now with the habanero is that I would rather have habanero than a cayenne pepper hot sauce. Right. And, and I will say this too. Um, you know, I'm diabetic and I've been really trying really hard not to eat biscuits and gravy and uh, it's killing my soul. But <laughs> my sugar has been like off the charts lately. But I don't mind to eat a bunch of scrambled eggs. Or bacon or something without the bread, just because I do put that hot sauce on it. So I don't feel like I'm really missing anything. I get that great taste, and I'll look at my bread like, eh, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it really does help you guys. It really does. So just think about that. All right, guys. Here's what we got for you. Now, tonight's story is going to be a little shorter than we normally do, because to be honest with you, we were out of town most of the week, and I didn't get to put the... Um, research time in for a longer story and a lot of times when we're out of town we just end up putting up a a, a one that we've done on patreon but i decided i wanted to do something completely new tonight Mm -hmm. i do have a good story for you it's just not as long okay but to help make up for it i have uh nick from the brohio podcast oh boy we've got about we've got a very long interview that we did later And, and it's not an interview i say interview but it's actually him telling us uh, a bunch of the ghost stories that he has encountered when he used to work at the correctional facility. Oh, gosh. I bet he's got a ton And of it's them. like each, and I think I mentioned this uh, either on a Patreon episode or regular, but each one of his stories, there's three of them, each one is better. And it, it gets, gets better each go. Now, there is some language in there. And oh, it, yeah. You know, so we'll, we'll remind you that, you know, it's probably not one for the kiddies to listen to, uh, but these are really good stories. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, this is about a 40-minute uh talk so okay it's it's full of good stuff in there so you're gonna have a good long episode it's just this particular story won't be good but it but it is interesting well we love us some nick so we're we're excited about that. right and then plus i got to go to the gates of hell cemetery that tracy again chickened out on and didn't go i didn't chicken out i just done told you i ain't going that's chickening out no it ain't it's a fact so we're gonna tell you about a little bit about that all right this week's story i i it's actually two stories. One's a little bigger than the other one. 
They're from the state of Maine, which we've done very little from Maine, so that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Both are supposed to be curses, and I think you're going to love the backstory on both of them. So, here we go. Let's get started. On this first curse, I think you're going to listen to it and say, well, if ever a curse was deserved, this is one of them. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes people just... You know, hey, I'm just going to curse everybody because uh, I feel like I got screwed. Yeah. And it's not always warranted. This one's kind of warranted, though. We've all heard of Bangor, Maine. Bangor, I barely knew her. What? Oh, Jerry. Anyways, we've all heard of Bangor, Maine. Right at the beginning of the podcast, too. Because that's where Stephen King, I think, I think he lives in Bangor. Mm Mm-hmm. So everybody kind of knows about that area. And he's kind of put Maine on the map because every story he does is somewhere in Maine. Yeah. About 19 miles south of Bangor is a little town called Bucksport. Bucksport has approximately 5,000 people living there. So it's a nice little quaint town. Its primary employer these days is a paper mill. But at one time, this was a booming coastal town because it was, you know, right there on, on the, uh, near the ocean and all that stuff. So we got a lot of business from the ships and everything back in the day. The town was originally founded by Jonathan Buck, and he's going to be the focus of this curse. Locally, he became more famous after he died, even though he was pretty well known during the time because he was, he was like I said, he was one of these guys that had his hand in everything, including creating right. the town. So we'll get into a little bit more about what he accomplished a little later in the story. But the reason he's more famous and looked at now is because he's got this really nice elaborate headstone and that stone has a very distinguishing mark of a leg and a foot on it and that is the actual curse like engraved in it or like a 3d looking thing no it's not really that it's just kind of now it just kind of appeared on it we'll say oh and it really won't make much sense now, but as we get into the story, you'll see why that's the curse. There was also a second marking that appeared on the tombstone much later, and we'll tell you about that one too. So Jonathan Buck was a colonel in the Revolutionary War. He was a very well-respected person of the a pillar of the community. Besides finding the town of Bucksport, he built the very first sawmill in town as well as the first schooner that sailed out on the Penobscot River. On top of that, Bucksport was also the first successful settlement in the area. So there have been a bunch of settlements. None of them really took. Mm -hmm. This one did, though. Needless to say, he was kind of a big deal in the area. But as we've seen in the past through history, just because you're a big deal and well-respected doesn't mean you're the most scrupulous of people. (laughs) He was having an affair with this lady. Her name was Ida Black. Obviously, you know, he was married, and this would have been a major deal to be having an affair with your wife. Yeah. This was the late 1700s, so it was, you know, not something that would have been well accepted by the community. Not for him or Ida Black. Now, remember, these were the days where if a woman was an adulteress, they could be, you know, branded with a scarlet letter or something like that, just like the infamous book. He would have so much to lose in the community if they found out that he was an adulterer that this would put him in a very rough situation Mm -hmm. should anybody find out as well as her but mainly him so wouldn't you know one late night he was leaving Ida Black's house 
and somebody sees him walking away out in the area by her house. And they confronted him. So he's got a moral decision to make at this point. Does he say, oh, well, yep, I'm having an affair and I was leaving her house. Why couldn't he just say I went there for some ketchup? Well, it was at one of those times of night where nobody would have been out looking for oh, gotcha. to borrow something. It was definitely something that, yeah. you know, it in the late 1700s. I something mean, Something you could only borrow at night. <laughs> yeah, in the late 1700s, if you're out at somebody's property, there was probably something bad going on. But anyways, instead of telling the truth... What he came up with on the spot was he thinks that maybe Ida Black is a witch. Shut so up. So he was kind of doing some surveillance and kind of checking on some stuff. Well, this is about 100 years since the Salem witch trials and stuff had went on. And it was something that people still took very serious. So now the town believes that Ida Black might be a witch. Buck's forced with another moral dilemma. Does he now come clean, or does he let Ida take the fall and go to trial? What a heifer. Tracy, what do you think that he chose to do? Well, being a he, I'm sure he let her take the fall. They have a trial. Oh, my gosh. She needs his pecker cut off. And, and Ida's only defense would have been to say that she was having an affair with Jonathan Buck. Then she would have been branded as an adulteress, which in a small community really wouldn't have been much better. So she took her chances on getting past the trial of being a witch and just, you know, at least worse come to worse. She gets past it and people still think maybe she might be a witch, but eventually the stuff would go away. They had seen that happen in the past with people who beat witchcraft claims. The trial started. It was really quick <laughs> and the townspeople all convicted her of being a witch. She was found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. Among the people who showed up to witness the execution, Jonathan Buck and his wife. So Jonathan Buck was supposed to be like this really religious man, but as Ida begged for her life, he pretty much ignored her pleas. Right before Jonathan Buck walked away, Ida turns to him. She raised her hand and said, Listen well, Jonathan Buck, for these shall be the last words that I shall speak. Soon you will die, and over your grave they will erect a large stone where, where everyone will see your bones crumbling into dust. And on that stone... My leg shall appear, and all people near and far will know that you murdered an innocent woman. How about that for a curse? Well, you know what? That's what he gets. <laughs> That's what he gets. I'm glad you feel so strongly about that. I do feel that strongly. So keep in mind, this was like a really heartfelt comment coming from Ida. But Jonathan Buck basically had a heart of stone and he just turned and walked away i mean did his wife not be like dang what she mean by that well i mean he was still in charge of the town and if she was innocent it didn't have to mean anything more than that well. so seconds later after he turned and walked away they kicked the uh 
the stool that was out, out from underneath of her and she fell and died. So what about the curse? It didn't really look like it was going to take place because, you know, she said soon he was going to be dead. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't actually happen. He actually didn't die soon. As a matter of fact, he lived to be 76 years old. No kidding. Yeah. She don't know what that soon means. <laughs> yeah. He was a prominent member of the community all the way up until the time he died, and uh, he was buried in the cemetery on Main Street. They did put a huge stone monument erected in his memory, much like she did say, but that would have been expected for somebody yeah, of, of course. his prominence. Within a few years, though, something strange happened. A stain appeared on the stone. A stain that looks a lot like a woman's leg and foot. And remember her curse said... Mm-hmm. Her foot or her her leg would appear yes. on his stone. Many people started bringing up now this famous curse that she brought up. Because keep in mind, this this is like thirty some years later. I wonder if his wife is still alive. I don't know. No idea. So people start bringing this up. The family brought in all kinds of of, of experts to clean the stone. Every time they would clean it, it would come back. Nothing seemed to work. They even brought in some stonemasons, and they tried everything possible to remove it, even doing some like sandblasting and stuff like that. It would always come back. So is there a logical explanation? It is granite, which is a porous material, so there is a lot of holes and stuff in there, and some think that it could just be iron ore deposits, and if that's the case, that it wouldn't be able to be cleaned. Most people, though, do think... That it's the Buckport Witch, as she is known, Ida Black. And at night, many people actually claim to see the spirit of a woman believed to be Ida walking around the cemetery seeking out the grave of Jonathan Buck. There's a resident that lived right across the street from the cemetery. He says that he saw something very strange one evening when he was getting ready for bed. He said he was looking out the window towards the cemetery when he noticed a strange haze that was in the form of a person that was floating above the cemetery straight toward Buck's grave. Well, I mean, I mean, I kind of believe it to be true. Of all things, to be on it, it is a leg, and that's what she said. Yeah. And, I mean, how does a leg disappear? Right, and, it's, and I'll post some pictures so you can see what this looks like. But most times, Ida's ghost is is seen wandering around the cemetery in the fall. I don't know why that is. Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact date that she died, but maybe that's got something to do with it. So here's the question. Is Ida coming back to seek revenge on Jonathan Buck or because she possibly still loves him? Here's why I ask. If you remember early on in the story, I said that there were two marks that would appear on the headstone one much later. Late in the 1950s and in the early 60s, a shape of a heart started to appear on the top of the monument. Wow. Some think that this is Ida still giving her heart to Jonathan Buck. Don't be dumb, girl. Look what he did. (laughs) Move on. Other than that, the leg and the foot is in a sense like a scarlet letter that some people think that you know, he will always, that, that mark will always be there to brand him mm-hmm. as an adulterer. Well, good. So always the proof that if anybody looks at it, there you go. So what do you think about that? It's pretty wild. I can't believe he threw her under the bus like that. He did. 
And that's just not right. Or back then it would have been like a wagon. A well, I mean, wagon. you know, <laughs> today people can do that, and they do, but you don't go out and they don't go out and get, get you hung. That's true. Yeah, yeah, you just lie today, people are just yeah. like, oh, well. Oh, yeah, right. Um, I don't know. I mean, you want to feel bad for her. I mean, she it takes two to tango, but he did not. I don't think. I don't think that she would have done that to him. I just don't. Well, if the tables said, were turned, that's why a lot of people think that that her spirit could be coming back because of love. No, nah, and and I that don't heart that up there, you know, it's like some people have said that's their way of showing that that's her broken heart. But or maybe he didn't have a heart, so she thought she'd stick one yeah. on his tombstone possible so but it takes a it, it would it's got to take something for her to stand there and not at least say during the trial hey we were having an affair i would i would have thrown it all up right. out there right right when they was getting ready to drop the bucket so maybe i don't know maybe she had it that bad for him where she was willing to die for him but she did leave curse so yeah. she couldn't have been that happy yeah all right i have a second story now this one's a bunch uh, or, uh, not a bunch, but it's smaller. But it's a really cool story. Mm-hmm. This is a cursed farm in Freeport, Maine. And the legend goes that in the early 1800s, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Grayson owned a farm by the name of the Tuttle Farm. So he marries this woman by the name of Hattie. Now, Grayson at the time had a son named David, And his wife, Hattie, already had a son by the name of Jonah when they met. So they lived together as a family for several years. Unfortunately, Grayson became ill. So he went to his wife, Hattie, and said, look, here's the situation. I want to make sure that this farm goes to my son when it's all said and done. Mm Mm-hmm. He didn't believe in lawyers, didn't trust them. So there was no professional will made. He trusted his wife. So unfortunately, after Thomas Grayson passes away, she prepares to give the farm to her son. She didn't listen. She didn't listen or didn't care. So his son, David, was pissed about the whole situation, and he leaves town. He just leaves them two in the farm and have it on your own. 14 years after Thomas died, Hattie goes out to the barn and she notices that there is a patch of sand about the size of a a saucer. Not very big. A couple of weeks later, it's a mound of sand. Okay, where is that again? Where's the sand at? Out by the barn. Oh, out by the barn, not in the barn. Okay. No, not in the barn. That's weird. Then, within a month, it's a dune, a whole sand dune on this farm. Well, how is that even possible? Well, it's a good question. By the end of the decade, the whole farm was nothing but sand. Like, literally, I'm not saying, like, you walk out there and it looks like that the ground looks normal, but it's just, like, really sandy when you dig in it. I'm talking about picture being on a beach or picture being on a desert. This was in the middle a farm, a 300-acre farm. So think about this. A 300-acre farm that now is like a giant golf sand trap 
in the middle of nothing but beautiful, fertile trees and grass all around you. It's not near the coastline to where it's like, oh, well, it's just real. It's none of that. This is in the middle of lush green acreage all the way around you. But now your farm has turned completely into sand. <laughs> That's a neat trick. So Hattie eventually died, they said, from exhaustion. And her son Jonah stayed and eventually passed away himself, uh, a lot older. But the the farm was virtually a desert, and it never was anything that they could make money out of again. I mean, didn't the people around the area wonder what the heck is happening? Of course they did. So that's the story of the curse. Now, the question is, Tracy, do you think that's a true story? I don't see how it could be possible. Well, I'm going to tell you. You don't grow sand. I'm going to tell you how it's possible. There is a desert in Freeport, Maine. And that's what they call it. Maine's desert. There's very little evidence to support that anybody named Grayson ever existed, let alone a curse or anything like that. What we do know, though, is there's some historical records show that the farm was owned by the Tuttle family. So we do know that. But apparently they had really poor farming techniques. They did not. They Well, <clears throat> here's what was said. They were potato farmers. And they had sheep as livestock. And they didn't rotate their crops like you're supposed to. And they let the sheep overgraze out there on the property. So what happened was the topsoil began to erode and it eventually exposed a glacial desert that was beneath the topsoil. <laughs> and that's so crazy. And a guy named Henry Goldrup bought it back in 1919 for 300 bucks. $300? He tried, he tried to make a financial success out of it by using the sand to make concrete and glass and stuff like that. After he owned it for six years, he turned it into a tourist attraction, and it is still a tourist attraction today. As a matter of fact, new owners, now the people who did own it, they eventually bought a camel and put out there, but the, the camel apparently wasn't uh, real people-friendly. Yeah. So they had to get rid of it. And now they've got some statues and stuff out there of a camel. But the people who did own it, they had a big fence that went all the way around it. So it's like you had to pay admission to get in and see it or you couldn't see it. You know what I mean? If you fly over it like right now, it literally, you've got all these giant trees growing up and nothing but sand. It's just the most incredible looking thing ever. But yeah, supposedly uh, that whole area up there were glaciers back in the Ice Age. And because of that, there's all this. They said this, it's so fine, it's even thinner than sand. That's crazy. And But they said for whatever reason, there was this sand and then there was the the soil and stuff over top of it. And once the soil was done bad, it, it gave way. And now it's pretty much overtaken it all. But the people who own it now, they're trying to make it into like an arts and craft type thing. And they've made it to where if you live in the area, um, it's completely free to get into. Mm-hmm. No admission price. And they, they're like going to have a bunch of art events and stuff like that up there. But they've taken down all the fences now so everybody can see it for that's what it is. That's pretty cool. And, well, that's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, but I would advise anybody to look up uh, the, the Desert of Maine and look at the pictures of this. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So 
Not really a curse, but that's the story that went along with it. Because that would make sense if something like that happened to seem like it? a curse. But the reality of it is it's just a, a freak of nature. Freaky. So. All right, Tracy, we're going to take a quick uh, break from our sponsor. And then we're going to come back and talk Patreon. And we'll talk Gates of Hell. And uh, we'll have Nick on from Ohio. All right, Tracy. So, we went to the Gates of Hell Cemetery. It was myself, my son Austin, his wife Kelly, and my sister Becky. I tried to get you to go. You refused. Something about demons or something. Wasn't in the mood. For almost, no demons. I almost brought something back with me, but I knew you, you better not I, have. I knew you would have thrown a fit. What is wrong with you, Jerry? <laughs> so anyway, we we get there. And it's this is kind of funny. Like we had the GPS on, telling us how to get there, and it says uh, when we got to uh, one part, it says prepare to park and walk to your destination, which was thirty minutes, a thirty minute walk. And the reason it tells you that is because when you it, the the road St. John's Road in Elizabethtown it ends. There's a church, which is where we parked at, and then there is a farm. It's and it's I can't remember the name of the farm, but it has a huge sign up that says no authorized vehicles, signs saying you're being watched and all that. So we didn't drive back there. Well that'd have been enough for me to turn around and go. That you've being watched. Mm-mm. Yeah. So even we, though I know what it means. So we we parked and we walked back there and it was a nice day yesterday, so no big deal. And uh, you know, we were all talking, keeping each other company. But this is just like a there's you know, nothing but farms on both sides of you and this little gravel road going back there. And so we get back there and we get to the cemetery and there's two cars parked there and people out. And we're like, they were like, I told you we could have probably drove back here, which turns out we could have. That's just, I guess, just to keep the traffic down. But yeah. I figure most people like us won't do it. And, uh, but we get back there and man, this place is so sad. I mean, it almost... I would say half of the headstones have been broken. Um, of course, there's lots of children back there. Yeah. Uh, as far as their the headstones. And, you know, people go back there and there's all kinds of toys and gifts and stuff uh, left back there. I didn't get any kind of weird feelings or anything like that. Of course, it was daytime. But um, overall, I'm, I'm glad we went. Uh, we got to, you know, look around a little bit and took a bunch of good pictures and stuff. And I put them up in the group so uh, and on our Instagram page. So if you're not following us on Instagram, Hillbilly Horror Stories, follow us. Mm-hmm. We, put, we put some cool stuff up there. Um, but overall, I mean, all four of us came away with a good positive feedback well, on it. And with those cows were the creepiest. That's just what I was getting ready to say. That Those cows were creepy. So there's two sets of cows. When you're walking up, there was a set of cows on the right-hand side, and then further up, there's a set on the left hand. The the, the ones on the left hand didn't pay us any attention going up or coming back. But the ones on the right-hand side going up, which is literally five minutes into your walk, so they're pretty close to the beginning. As soon as they seen us, there was probably 30 cows, I guess. They all ran up to the, the gate. And then they just looked at us. I mean, all of us, just all of them at one time just fixed on us. And then they all just started mooing and stuff. You're probably but, pissed off that they have to be there. And then you know, as we walked, 
they followed us. I mean, they had a stretch of, you know, probably, I don't know, about a block long, I would say, of where they could travel alongside us. And they followed us all the way up. And then when we came back, same thing, but the other cows never paid us attention. And they were close to the fence, too. They just didn't care. But these cows, I mean, they were just... That that freaked me out. Just and I put a video up on, uh, I don't know if I put it, I put it on Instagram, I think. But I know I put it on the Facebook group of these cows just staring at us and mooing and all that. So it's kind of freaky. <laughs> but other than that, it was it was just a cool trip. Okay. I'm glad you enjoyed it. But Gatlinburg, we had fun there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, we, we saw a couple of shows and, and uh, we ran into a young lady. This is so funny. She is. She was our our uh, server when we were at the steakhouse, the one where Tracy got sick at, and she was super nice. And she kept telling Tracy she had uh, what she say fun happy hair? hair. Was it fun hair? Happy hair? And she kept telling her she had happy hair, happy hair. Super sweet. She was a sweetheart. And then we go to the show uh, the next night, and it was like legendary performers, and they had somebody doing Buddy Holly and Elvis and uh, Cher. And they had Aretha Franklin and all that. Well, we see she's outside in the parking lot. And she's like, she yells at Tracy, hey, happy hair. <laughs> and uh, so we're talking to her a little bit. And I thought she was there just to watch the show. And it turns out she was actually the performer that was doing Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. And my goodness. Yes. If y'all get to go and see, or if, no, let me try it again. If y'all go and try to see a show, you need to see her. Make sure she's on that night. Oh, my goodness. She puts her heart and soul into every bit of it. She's got a beautiful voice. And she, like we said, she was the sweetest person. And then she saw me out in the audience while she was performing. And I guess about the end of it, she goes, hey, happy hair or something <laughs> like that. And then she got like all walked on the stage. But she was, I mean, it was fun. She was she was the best one there, I thought. Yeah, I thought so, too. She was fantastic. But, yeah, if y'all ever get up that way and want to see a good show, go see her because she's awesome. We still have a handful of tickets left for uh, Bobby Mackey. I think there's less than 10 now. Mm-hmm. And that's the 25th. So, I mean, that's going to be here before Yay. you know it. I'm so that excited. One, that one will definitely sell out. Uh, like I said, there's plenty of room for social distancing in there. So, that's not okay, going to yeah. be a big deal. Uh, so, excited for that one. So, snag your tickets for that one. I'm hoping to have copies of the book by then. The, the, um... I spoke to the gentleman tonight. We were pushing for him getting me what I needed by the 12th. Uh, and he thinks that might be a little bit sooner. But everything is progressing nicely. So hopefully the book will be published. And I'll actually have copies in hand by then. So there's an update on the book for you real quick. We are having a sale in our store. for So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week. So tomorrow and the next two days. Hillbilly 25. Anything you order, Hillbilly 25 will get you 25% off anything in the store. So you guys can get you some hoodies and stuff now that's getting. Yeah, oh, cool. That's a great outside. idea. And then if you want to wear something to the show or something like that or something for Halloween. But anyway, Hillbilly 25, the next three days will get you a discount. Don't order tonight if you listen because it won't be there yet. But tomorrow, mm-hmm. we're good. Yeah, that'd be great. Tracy, what do you got for us, iTunes wise? And. Uh, we have Coretta Picasso. What a name. I nice. love it. And our old faithful Mojo Lobster. Thank you, mm-hmm. sweetheart. We look forward to seeing your review every week. And TJ Roar. Is that Roar? I think so. Yeah. TJ Roar. Thank you guys for your uh, reviews. They were amazing. And it always lifts us up and makes us happy. So. Yeah, 100% there. agree. Yeah, absolutely. Keep them coming, please. When we were coming back, 
we were listening to some podcasts, three and a half hour drive to and from. One of the ones that we found that we listened to for a big chunk of coming back was the Occult and Crime Academy. You guys want to listen to that one. It'll be fun because John and Jessica did a fantastic job of keeping us entertained. Yeah, the way it up. was really so good. Very, very Give them good. a listen. I promise you'll, you'll like them. So a little bit of everything. You get a little bit of true crime. You get a little bit of uh, paranormal, but it's a mixture of some stuff. Mm-hmm. So Very cool. All right. Are we ready to listen to the delicious Nicolicious? That sounds so dirty every time I think of it. <laughs> it's so hot, though. Yeah, sure it is. But anyways, <laughs> listen to this. Like I said, this one's not really for the kids, but for the most part, Nick was on his uh, best behavior. So you're, you're going to hear he was way more subdued than you were used to hearing. He, I told him he sounded like he was one of these uh, radio announcers for like, hey, late in the evening, this is WKLT. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the way it came across. But uh, you guys are going to love these stories. Like I said, stick around to the end because they just keep getting better and better. Hey, guys, I've got an old friend of the show that uh, never makes time for us anymore, but uh, <laughs> I conned him into coming on. We've got... Nick from the Bro Ohio podcast. Nick, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Jerry. It's a beautiful Sunday. It's actually tomorrow's my birthday. So this is kind of like my birthday present to myself, hanging out with you for a little bit. Well, that's a much better birthday present than you gave me, uh, which was a month <laughs> ago. But that's okay. I can deal with that. Happy birthday. I didn't realize tomorrow was your birthday. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, 33. 30s are hitting me hard, man. I hate it. Every time, every day I get older into my 30s, I fucking loathe. I'm sorry. I freaking loathe every second of it. <laughs> I don't think anybody expected you to, to not be able to curse. That's just okay, part of yeah. your DNA. Well, I, I meant to ask you that before we start. I said, Jerry, who are we talking to? Is this for hillbilly kids? Is this for hillbilly uh, preteens? Is this for hillbilly teenagers? Is this for hillbilly... Uh, millennials or is this the actual hillbilly horror story show i wasn't sure uh, one time i think we did have all those shows so uh understandable <laughs> so nick you used to work in uh, a prison <clears throat> and you've got some stories that uh from your prison days well i'm sure you have plenty of stories for your prison days yeah. but we're gonna stick to some ghost stories from yeah. your prison days it depends on what route you want to go there but yeah my life is <laughs> My my professional life has taken me in many different uh, directions for, oh, God. I mean, I started a police department when I was 18, and I worked there for almost five years. And then I got laid off because that was like when the housing market and all that stuff collapsed. And while I was laid off, I took a job working private security under the table. And that was probably the worst, ex- well... That's where I learned. I learned a lot of life skills doing that shit. Working these bootleg clubs, and <laughs> it was some really sketchy situations. Let me tell you, buddy, because they would put me in spots where I shouldn't be, where someone, uh, you know, just for lack of a better word, I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. And I, got I, you. I needed a job, man, so I took the job at the prison, and I, it was a, um, it was a state-ran facility. It was a maximum security facility. It was the most, I think I heard at one point, it had the most amount of natural life sentences under one roof on this side of the United States. So there were a lot of guys in that facility that were doing natural life sentences, you know, like no chance of ever getting out type deals. Mm-hmm. And every every day was a major commotion, whether it was someone getting stabbed or a huge uh, 
gang fight, someone committing suicide. There was just always something at multiple times every day, something horrible going on. And it was kind of a just never ended, man. It was it was tough not to bring that stuff home. But it was oh, I think the prison was right around 100 years old, a little less than 100 years old. So there was a lot of history in the building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't. Um, I got I got a few different stories. And I hope that, uh, and it's kind of the, the same thing now where a lot of these prisons are just so short-staffed that these guys are getting stretched out over long, long hours. And in one of these stories, you know, it was one of the situations where I was kind of just stuck there for a super long time. I don't think it was my mind playing tricks on me, but actually I, I know it wasn't my mind playing tricks on me. So I know how much... Um, I know how much you hated your time in prison, Jerry, so I know this episode probably might be a little hard for you. <laughs> Traumatizing. <laughs> Having some flashbacks. But, you know, man, if you... Uh, we'll, we'll make our safe word banana. If you start screaming banana, I'll stop telling the stories, okay? <laughs> Can we pick a different safe word? <laughs> no. You, what's, what's, your real life, what's your real life safe word? Wake up. <laughs> don't stop. <laughs> don't stop. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> We we just keep a knife next to the bed. We don't use a safe word at all. So <laughs> that's kind of how we roll around here. Uh, okay. Well, I'll start with my very first experience from, and this is the one where I was kind of like, you know, maybe my mind was playing tricks on me. But the more I think about it, the more I just there's no way. Um, one of the one of the deals is when you when you first start out, you're on probation. You kind of you don't have any union protection, and you don't have uh. You really don't have much to say for yourself. You just got to do what they want you to do and keep your mouth shut. And they have uh, a process called being frozen, where if you're working a shift and the next shift after you is substantially uh, understaffed, they can freeze you. That's where they just call you over the over the phone. They say, hey, you're frozen for the next shift. So essentially your eight-hour shift just got turned into a 16-hour shift, which I think is kind of fucking bullshit. In my personal opinion, they can <laughs> stretch you out for 16 hours, but... That's what happened that evening in one of the, I don't know, there's a lot of different posts in the prison. You know, it's just, it was a stereotypical maximum security prison. There was uh, towers around the outside. There was patrol cars that drove around the exterior fence to make sure no, no one was climbing the fence. But whenever you got assigned to overtime, you got first dibs to pick where you wanted to work as far as uh, where, you know, where they needed staffing. And that I knew that specific night there weren't many spots, many good spots to be had. And one of the one of the spots that was available was a really small isolation unit, and some people will call it the the hole. Which you know, mm-hmm. anytime you get in a um, certain kind of trouble in prison, they send you to the hole, which is where you're locked up in a cell 23 hours a day for one hour a day. They'll take you out and do a another cell outside, and you get to play with a tennis ball or do sit-ups for an hour, and then they take you back inside and put you in your cell and the place that they put me was called l2 and that was um they used letters to assign the the cell blocks because the prison had i think 12 or 13 different cell blocks so there was like one main hallway and then each cell block just branched off of that main that main hallway and it's much like uh it's kind of built in the same mold as uh ohio state reformatory i think you've probably been there before haven't you yep Okay, much in the same mold as that, how the cell cell blocks are. Kind of like Alcatraz, the same old-style 
bell blocks. But this one, uh, this specific block was uh, kind of different in the aspect that it was in kind of like a a basement style setting. It wasn't a normal cell. It was a really small enclosed area. It was about 70, the, the, it was the, the block itself was about 70, I don't know, 70 or 80 feet long, and it had about uh, 25 cells in it. And it just, it didn't have any lighting. It was super dark. All the lights were burned out. It was just made for a really um, kind of, just a kind of creepy setting to begin with. So it wasn't a super, it wasn't a super desirable spot. But what I was thinking when I picked that spot was, um, I could get some Z's between my that rounds, sounds, honestly. I knew that's what you were thinking. <laughs> Take a fucking nap, yeah. Because I knew, um, I just knew it wasn't. I wasn't going to be able to make it through the night staying away. Because this was like the fourth night in a row that I had been that I had been frozen over for overtime. So I picked that spot, and it was probably about three o'clock in the morning. And the way it goes, you do rounds every thirty minutes. It's staggered intervals, and this specific cell block there was a giant iron desk that the officer is supposed to stand at and there was like a bar stool attached to it that would swing out and everything in the prison is is made by the inmates so the guys in the machine machine shop probably made that 50 or 60 years ago but then um on the ground kind of sitting next to the the giant iron desk was just an old office style chair kind of a foam office chair mm-hmm. and i would make my rounds and then I would just sit down in the chair. And when you would make your rounds, you just go around, look in the window, make sure all the inmates are in their cells sleeping. It's the middle of the night. There's nothing. They're, they're either, uh, <laughs> they're supposed to be sleeping, but sometimes they're doing other st- stuff. And we'll, we'll save that for the Brohio podcast. We won't talk about that on your show, Jerry. Well, yeah, that's where the prisoners, <laughs> prisoners uh, don't feel they need to get stretched out either. Yeah, they just fucking, yeah, they f- really have some hard, hard sex. But, they always said, it, as long as you keep your socks on, it doesn't matter what you do. So that was kind of their, <laughs> that was what they would always say. And you would make your rounds, and you would look through the windows, make sure they're sleeping, make sure no one's chiseling into the wall doing something like that. And I made my rounds all night, and I remember I had a, a Hobbit book in my back. Because it was, when I was on, uh, when I would do these, these third shift overtimes, I would try and pack a, a classic book to try and to try and read. There was a lot of classic books i would try and get through and this is one of the hobbit books and i was just getting tired of it man i i put it down in my lunch bag and i sat down in that little office chair and i propped my feet up on the on kind of like that swinging out bar stool that was on that giant desk and i leaned my head back and i prob i i i knew it wasn't a, a sleep you know that um kind of that that phase in between falling asleep and falling asleep where you yeah. a baseball flies at your face and you jump out of the bed or someone tries to punch you and you jump up in the air. I think I think everybody experiences that shit. On this uh, on this night, I propped my feet up on that on that bar stool and I remember I was thinking to myself, there's no way I'm gonna be able to fall asleep tonight. My mind was racing, I was making shit money, I didn't have any money, I was stressed out. And I'm just thinking about everything because that's what you do anytime you're locked up in a maximum security prison for going on uh, 13 or 14 hours. And all of a sudden, I feel like I, I do this to my kids whenever they're not paying attention. I'll take my hand and I'll raise it up in the air and I'll like grab them on the knee really hard and start tickling them. Well, mm-hmm. imagine that, but multiply it by a million. I had my eyes closed and I could hear the whew, like something brush past me 
and I felt it felt like 15 uncles grabbed my knee and started I felt it I heard it slap I felt it slap my leg and I felt it grip my like my knee like it was trying to you know tickle me above my knee and it whenever the the scariest part for me is I tried to at first I thought it was an inmate that had uh just ran up and grabbed me that's what the the kind of force that I felt when this whatever it was grabbed my leg and I tried to roll away from it and and kind of like push myself up to my feet at the same time well when I went to push myself up onto my feet I could feel whatever it was was like restricting me it was holding me something was restricting me down I couldn't lift my leg and for just a fraction of a second you know maybe a maybe a full second or two I it was like someone was uh it, you know if you were had your legs flat on the ground and someone laid on your legs you wouldn't be able to lift your legs up off the ground that's what it felt like I couldn't lift my leg it's like it was restricted and held down but when I opened my eyes there was nothing around there was n- there was no um there was no cell doors open there was no I mean it's really strict operating procedures at night there is absolutely no one out of their cell. If a door is open, there's an alarm that goes off. These guys are not out of their cells. And there's no one around. There's no officers around. In order for another person to even come into that cell block, I would have to actually stand up, put my key in the gate behind me, and open the gate and let the officer in. So there's nobody else around. So whatever. And I and I was thinking afterwards that maybe I fell asleep and my leg fell asleep and I just it was intensified for some strange reason that night. But the thing that I can't get past is, is it felt like it was laying across my legs. It had it so restricted. I couldn't lift my leg up off of the, off of the bench at all. So it was kind of a, it definitely made me shit my pants. Not uh, <laughs> for, for a, you know, for a split second there, I was kind of just out of my mind, honestly. And that was, um, that was kind of the first time that I had anything really sketchy happen to me. And when I say that was, um, that wasn't even the most intense of shit that as far as the, the paranormal experiences that I had there, have you, um, have you ever dealt with like, um, you personally, have you dealt with shadow people before whenever you're sleeping? No, no, I know. And it was funny because as you've mentioned that, uh, the story, the first thing I thought of was maybe it was like an episode of sleep paralysis or something, or at least a partial. Yeah. Uh, so, and I know a lot of times that, that comes with the shadow people. But I did like a crocodile death roll, man. There was the only thing that was held down was what <laughs> it, if whatever slapped me on the leg and grabbed me, held me down. And my whole entire rest of my body, I was able to move away from it, except for my leg that it like it's and it felt like a hand almost like a you know a hand wrapping around your thigh is, is exactly what it felt like but that was that was my first experience and i didn't quit that night i manned up i went home and <laughs> my wife rolled into a fetal position <laughs> yeah I, she said how was work i said it was fucking terrible and she didn't want me to elaborate because she knew every single night was terrible there and, yeah um, i bet yeah, but then uh, another kind of profound experience I had there, and this, and I'm gonna go off. You know, I had three stories for you, but there was another night that was there was a similar situation in a in a, another cell block. And I, when I leaned my head back to go to sleep, um, 
I told you about if there was any other officers that would have been in there, I would have had to have stood up and unlocked the gate for them. Mm-hmm. Well, to even get to that gate, there's a huge uh, hydraulic-powered door that central control has to open. Central control will open the door, then the officer will step in the little vestibule-type lobby for the cell block, and then you let him in through the gate. Well, I was in another cell block working overtime, and I had my head lean back uh, against that gate. They call it a crash gate. And I was kind of half dozing off that night as well. And I f- and it felt like someone walked up behind me and just went right in my ear, man. I could feel the air blow, like the hot air blow on my neck, and I could feel it in in my ear. And that was another night that I had. And that was kind of another night where I said, you know what? Is that just me not knowing how to fall asleep like an, like an idiot? It's just like my mind playing tricks. Because, you know, you're stretched out. Your brain is just mush because you've been yelling at these guys all day long and then you have to go work this other shift and that was a and that story just came to mind as you and i were discussing this first one but the on to these these next two that were pretty uh these next two are pretty intense i'll save the i'll save the best for last but on this um on this next one i was actually assigned to third shift i moved to third shift because it just worked better for my family and i and i was in a another isolation block called r block and this one was two stories high instead of one story and like i said before you make these rounds at 30 you you make the rounds at 30 minute intervals and you have a thing on your duty belt called a spider alarm and they could be called something else at other institutions but at our specific institution it was called a spider alarm and part of the these spider alarms, if you ever got into an altercation with an inmate and you needed assistance, they had a little plug on these spider alarms. They're about the size of a an old Nokia cell phone, and you could pull the plug on these spider alarms. And when that when you pull that plug, it, it alerts the central con- control, and they say, "Attention, all listening units, officer, whoever needs assistance." Like it's like a man, it's a man down alarm essentially, and everybody comes running, just ready to beat the shit out of somebody. It's <laughs> It's really it's really poetic. Uh, and they also have two buttons at the bottom of these spider alarms. So you can either pull the plug when you need help, or you can take, there's two different buttons, and if you push those two different buttons at the same time, that sends out the same alarm as the plug. But they have these little sensors set up all over the prison, and when you walk by the, the sensors, if you push only one button on your spider alarm, it tells that specific sensor that you were there and since they're spaced out all over the prison that was one way for them to to track you and that you were making that you were doing your rounds properly because uh if you just write down your logbook like hey i made my rounds no one's going to believe you but since they put up these little sensors you can walk around and, and trigger them and it, it, it leaves a time stamp that you were in that specific part of the building at that time so it's kind mm-hmm. of a way to make sure they're that you're doing your job and if you hit the sensors too early they're really, really strict about making sure you do your rounds at thirty minute un thirty minute staggered intervals. So if you wait too long or if you go too soon, then it messes up your entire rotation. So you want to you know hit those alarms at twenty eight minutes, then at twenty nine minutes, then at twenty seven minutes. And I was making my rounds in R block, which is another lockdown to the hole or isolation. And I was at the I was on the top story. Well, they call it a range. Because when you walk into a cell block, it's just a giant rectangle 
building and then all along the outsides of the wall are the are the cells and then there's like a there's like a, a walkway that almost like a balcony that runs the entire perimeter of the cell block and you walk around these balconies and that's how you look in the cells and i was at the very back of the cell block on the second story and i was waiting for my watch to get to 29 minutes to, so i could hit that uh so i could hit the spider alarm to notify the the nearby sensor that I was that I was making my rounds. So I'm like four minutes early, so I have to stand by this stupid sensor for like four minutes and wait. And I'm You're uh, overachiever. <laughs> yeah, just you know, doing my part. I wasn't always sleeping, Jerry. Sometimes I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I'm sitting there looking at my watch and I look up at about, I don't know, four it was about four cells down the range, so about four cells away from me. I see this um I see this white guy up in his window of his cell and he's just staring at me he's staring a hole right through me and i and i look down my watch and kind of turn around i'm kind of impatiently waiting and i look up again and this guy is still looking out of his cell window just staring at me and normally everyone is asleep in the middle of the night and there was no one would ever look out of their windows and one of the biggest things in this prison is your reputation is built on kind of respect so you have to make the inmates respect you and if they um if you feel like they're disrespecting you it's up to you to show the inmate like hey you can't you can't disrespect me or else there's going to be consequences and that's kind of how you build a reputation of being firm and someone you just want to be someone that the inmates don't fuck with honestly that's kind of what the mm-hmm. you're trying to you're trying to build and i start to think to myself this dude is just staring at me as soon as I hit this alarm, this timestamp, I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to ask him what his, what his problem is. I'm going to, you know, go over there and see what the fuck he's staring at. And I had it all planned out in my mind. I was going to be like, Hey, dumbass, what are you doing? You know, I was going to bark at him. And then finally, um, about 20 seconds before I was supposed to hit this alarm, I look over again and sure as shit, man, he's still just me mugging me. He's got this mean scowl on his face clear as day all the way like face completely pressed up against the window and there was an there was an exit light right above him that kind of illuminated the front of his cell so i could see his face clear as day and i turned around and i kind of pulled my spider alarm up towards the sensor and i hit the button and when i turned back around he was out of the window so i thought to myself this dude got scared he knows i'm gonna come over there and check the shit out of him (laughs) and um mind you um, this was a, this was a white guy with his face pressed up against the window. What you had a white bald head. <laughs> I don't think it was you, but you had a white bald head <laughs> and a very mean scowl on his face. So I walk over to the cell and I look in the window and the, they would hang sheets above their windows to kind of keep the outside lights from keeping them awake because they have super bright lights outside the prison. And when I looked into the cell it was completely dark they had their lights off and there was two bunks in the cell and you can see and the, these cells are like five by seven they're 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 insanely small cells right and i look in the window and there's a guy on the top bunk and there's a guy on the bottom bunk and both of them have they're not sleeping with sheets because it's like a thousand degrees outside these guys were both black they're both black guys there was no white guy in the cell at all when i say they were black guys there was no um no mis- mistaken the color of their skin and i was so shaken by this i said there's no f- there's no way i looked i went to the cell next to him and it was always um 
common practice to keep the cells next to uh they would try and keep the cells they kind of stagger them and keep empty cells between people um the cell to the left of them was completely empty and the cell to the right of them was completely empty and the guy looking out the window at me was completely white bald head and these two guys were sound asleep in the cell and they were both black and i went down to the roster at the front of the cell block to check to make sure that the guys in the cell were the ones who were supposed to be there and they have their picture next to the uh next to the roster and sure as shit man these were the two guys that were supposed to be in there and there hadn't been a white guy and these two had been in that that cell together for three months and there was uh (laughs) there hadn't been a white guy in that cell in in over three months so whomever or whatever was looking out at me that night definitely um definitely rattled my chain man it was um it was a really that was a really creepy uh that was a really creepy experience for sure and i was i was wide awake that night i was not falling asleep i wasn't losing my mind that was um for me that was one of the most clear cases of something crazy happening like that that i could that i could ever experience and you got a bunch of good looks at it cuz you looked up numerous different times yeah i mean i kept so on it wasn't looking one time thing i kept on looking like this fucking guy is trying to uh what? Why is he staring at me? Like what? What have? And like I said before, it's um, it's all about respect, man. It's all about checking these guys when they're wrong or when they're trying to. You feel like they're trying to alpha dog you, going up to him and say, "Hey, what's your what's your problem, dipshit?" And uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't believe in that culture now. I've kind of changed a little bit, but that's kind of how it. Uh, it's kind of how it worked there. But he was uh, there. There's no, mis- I can't mistake what I saw that night for sure. And you said that's not even the worst one, so I'm excited no, to hear this one. No, this <laughs> this one's fucking weird, dude. Okay, um, this this specific specific night, I was coming back from uh, I come back from Disney. I was on vac- vacation with my family, and this was my first night back on third shift. I didn't want to be there, and this was another night that I, I was not working overtime. This was another assigned. Another assigned regular day on third shift, and I was in one of the general population blocks. And what's different about the general population blocks is they're they're a cell block, but they're three stories tall. And when you walk into the cell block, on the left is a staircase that gets you up to the third floor, and then on the right is a staircase that gets you up to the top floor. And then you have 50 cells on, on the right side and 50 cells on the left side, and... This place is just chalked full of people, man, honestly. Um, and on midnight shift, they you have to count these guys. I think it's four, four different times. So you have to go through and count them, make sure no one's climbed out of their window. You have to make sure there's a living, breathing body in the cell. And that's part of the, um, that's the main duty of the night crew is to, is to count these guys and make sure there's not essentially an escape trying to go on that night i was assigned to g block which is one of the biggest cell blocks in the building it's a huge huge cell block and i've been making my rounds all night and inmates are not allowed out on the night shift because we go to a skeleton crew it would be way too easy. Uh, it would be entirely too easy for them to overpower all of us because essentially we're, we're working with maybe less than a quarter of what a fully staffed uh, day would be like when the inmates are out, you know, doing their thing. So 
Nighttime, they're completely locked down. They're not allowed out of their cells. It's just our job to count them and make sure they're not killing themselves, essentially. Fair enough. That, that night, um, I'm doing everything as planned. I'm just trying. I'm doing a crossword puzzle, trying not to lose my mind. And I would always, <clears throat> I would stand up to do my rounds. And like I said at the beginning of uh, this incident, there's a staircase on the left and a staircase on the right. And these staircases are much like... Uh, staircases you would see in a movie where maybe a, a cop is chasing a bad guy down 15 flights of stairs and the cop you know kind of looks over the edge and he can see the bad guy down three or four stories on the steps below him that's kind of how these steps are so when i go to the bottom of the steps and i look up i can see all the way to the 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 entrance to the third story and it was always common practice for me because it was the only place in the facility there were no cameras. When I would enter a stairwell, I would take a really good look around because I would want to make sure one of these guys wasn't lurking around the corner waiting to, to hurt me, essentially. We had uh, one guy that was um, an officer that was climbing the steps, and he wasn't really paying attention. And an inmate took a laundry bag and put about 25 full cans of Pepsi in it and swung the laundry bag and just completely annihilated this officer. I mean, just uh, broke a bunch of bones in his face. It really fucked him up. Oh, man. Yeah, so it was always common practice for me to kind of check the steps, look around, just be cognizant of my surroundings, which I encourage my fucking kids to do right now. I say, look look around before you do shit, because kids will, kids will walk into a volcano because they're just they're so unaware of what's going around. So I encourage everyone, just look around, assess your surroundings, that's uh that's one thing I always preach, but this um this night I go into the stairwell and I look around the steps, I look straight up, and then when I look straight up the stairwell, I can see the railing or the kind of where it the, the the third story up top there was a a railing around the side and I saw someone clear as day lean over the railing, put the, like have their hands on the railing, like leaning over the railing looking down at me. I mean it's it, it wasn't that high up. I mean, these 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 cells are only probably seven feet high, so to see from the bottom to the top is maybe 30, 30 feet or a little more. And clear as day, I'm looking up, I'm at the bottom, and I'm looking up at the top, and I see a guy, you know, much like you would lean over railing at the mall, because I know when I was a kid, I would... Um, the mall i would take french fries and i would lean over the balcony at the and i would try and drop french fries down women's cleavage that were something like you know women that were kind of sitting out kind of dressed scantily clad i would try and drop french fries in their their cleavage and that was um that's a really fond memory i have with my grandpa honestly Man, there's not a lot to do in dayton so <laughs> yeah, no there's not we would do uh heroin after we left them all <laughs> that's what <laughs> so i look up and I see this guy leaning over the railing. Mind you, an inmate being out at this time of night is a huge security breach to the point where we have to, um, you have to call for backup. You have to notify central control that you need any available person to respond and, you know, figure out where this guy came from, where he's, who he is, where he belongs, if he's escaped or if he's trying to escape, what's going on. Um, so I see this guy pull back i'm staring up at him and i see him pull back like he's gonna like he's running but there's nowhere to run we're we're all locked in the same cell block 
There's right. nowhere. There's nowhere to run. There's no windows. You know, and I'm thinking he's probably just somehow kept his door open and no and nobody knew it. But the thing about it is, when these doors close, it's like <laughs> much like you. It's a hundred year old prison. These are hydraulic doors, and you can't shut them quietly. They make a huge commotion, especially in the middle of the night when no one is making a sound. There's, it's a, it's a sound that you you cannot, you can't avoid it whenever you shut these doors. So I'm, I get on my radio and I say, I need backup right now. I have an inmate that's out, and I don't know where he went. So I start to run up the steps, and these other officers respond. Probably seven or eight other officers, and they we start running around the cell block. Because I get up to the third story, and I don't see this guy anywhere around. And I remember uh, whenever he was leaning over the railing, I guess, the, the top of his forehead, uh, his hair was kind of hanging. You know, like gravity taking control. He's leaning, over the, right. he's leaning over the railing. His hair is dangling. And it was almost like a salt and pepper. It, it looked kind of grayish, kind of blackish. I couldn't really tell because it's, it's in the middle of the night, obviously. And it's kind of dark. And everyone's running around this cell block. And they can't find anybody. So everyone just chalks it up to one of these guys got out and got back in a cell and shut the door. And I fucking, I let it happen. So I was kind of on the shit list at this point. Right. <laughs> and then the captain comes down. And this was the grumpiest fucking guy in the entire, I hated this guy so much. He was such an asshole all the time. He said, so you just let guys walk around this fucking place when they're supposed to be sleeping? And I said, no, I, I didn't. I, absolutely positively didn't let anybody out of their cell and his um so at that point he wanted to do a picture count and a picture count is where they go to the main counting office which is where they have every uh picture of every inmate in the prison uh in a binder and they have them organized by cell number so they got the binder for my specific block and a picture count you make both inmates stand up in the cell and you compare their face to their picture that they have um you know hard written in the in the count office and he wanted to do a picture count to make sure everyone was accounted for to make sure no one was escaped that no one was in the wrong cell because that was another thing we had problems with is at the end of the night people would get in the wrong cell and you wanted to do a, a picture count to make sure that uh we had everyone in the right spot. Well, part of the picture count was you have to wake all these fucking guys up and make them stand up. So obviously they're going to be pissed off and you have to turn all the lights on in the middle of the night. Uh, granted, this was probably two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. And I remember they were doing, um, they had two officers on each floor. <clears throat> and on the third floor where I saw the guy, they had a this big, loud, obnoxious officer and I remember whenever he got to, um, I'll never forget this sound. He got to the uh, the end of the cell block, the furthest end of the cell block from where I saw the guy over the railing. And he got on the radio and he said, holy shit, we got one swinging. And I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? And everyone runs up there. <clears throat> they open the door of the cell. There's a guy that's hung himself at the back of his cell from his from his window and he was dead as a doornail, dude. And God strike me fucking dead if this guy didn't have salt and pepper long bangs hanging down right in front of his face. Ugh. He was cold to the touch. So this guy had been dead for a while. Um, he had... 
they said when they first because I wasn't I was on the other side of the cell block when they busted the door open. They said that um, the way he had they had like these cabinets in their cells and the way they had he had it positioned, they they, they couldn't really they couldn't tell that he was hanging. So whenever someone would would count, you know, they wouldn't really be able to tell that he had hung himself. It wasn't until they made both inmates stand up that his cellmate said, you know, he's he's hanging there. He's dead. And I it was hard for me to tell if if you asked me for a million dollars, if you would pay me a million dollars if I could describe what that guy looked like that that peeked over the balcony at me, I couldn't do it because it was too dark. And it was too far away. It was too fleeting of a moment for me to, to even get. All I remember is the long kind of the long bangs in the front that was kind of salt and pepper colored hanging down. And this guy that they pulled out of there, sure as shit, had five, six inch salt and pepper bangs hanging off the front of his face. Um, uh, dude, honestly, I can't explain that. Whether maybe I didn't actually put my hands on him to say, hey, this guy is cold. For someone trying to debunk this, maybe um, maybe that was the guy, and he made it back to a cell, and he hung himself, which we all would have heard that, that door shutting. I mean, it's a really loud commotion that those doors make. I didn't hear a door shut that night. I would have heard a door shut, and I would have been able to, the, as quickly as I got up those stairs, I would have seen him all, uh, running down the balcony to get back into a cell, and I didn't. I did not see that. And that's kind of... That was my most profound experience that I that I ever that I ever went through at the prison there. So, did anybody give any credence at all after that that maybe that's what you saw, or, or that everybody just still just assumed you just let people run around? <laughs> no, they 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 were fully convinced that. Um, and here's the kicker, man. Actually, this is this is the best part. This kind of was towards the end of my uh, career there, so it's kind of. I had a buddy call me. There was a kind of a, a something like an inmate killing himself there. Not a big deal. For it's just not a big deal. In the that investigation into that suicide probably got shuffled shuffled underneath of a million other cases. And a while after I left there, he uh, he called me. He said, "You're not going to fucking believe." It was another officer on the same shift that just always uh, super good dude. We would always chat about really weird stuff but he called me and said you're not going to fucking believe me they did the investigation that suicide and they went back and they watched the tape because there's video cameras that 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 are closed you know surveillance that monitors the the balconies there and he said there was nobody out that night there was nobody on that stairwell there was the, the cameras aren't in the stairwell he said there's nobody on the range or the the long the long balcony he said there was no one that ran down that balcony leading up to his suicide. The last person that was on the balcony were the inmates right before they got locked down for the night at 9 p.m. Hmm. So I kind of the the vibe that I got, uh, I think I probably worked there another two or three months after that. But everyone just assumed that this guy was out um, and that uh, I let him get back in a cell and he killed himself in between us i guess <laughs> whatever and but the 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 guy the super over the top animated officer that found him said no he was he's i just remember he's cold to the touch he's cold he's cold and i think that um 
the policy was you have to start doing CPR on these guys as soon as you find them. And I think the reason he was saying that he was cold to the touch is so it would he less, have to lessen CPR. the likelihood of him having to put his mouth in this inmate's mouth. But, <laughs> you know, I never touched the inmate. But, um, Jerry, I'm telling you right now, there's no way that someone could open, let alone close one of these doors without, without making a large, <laughs> a large commotion, a loud, a violent down like that. So... Especially someone running down the range, kind of, you know, in a dead sprint, trying to get away from someone. Well, uh, I could see why that would freak you out. I, and, and all the all the experiences you had there, when you combine all of them, I could really see why you you would have issues with that place. Besides yeah. the obvious, yeah, and it's not just me. There were a lot of people there that had um, a lot of people that stories of them, uh, you know doing cell-to-cell checks and then just having a some type of entity rushing up behind them, almost like knocking them flat on their face from behind. A lot of people shared a similar story like that. A lot of guys would, you know, always see stuff kind of peeking around the corner and stuff. Uh, I know one night, one of the preferred spots was the, the towers that surrounded the uh, that surrounded the prison there. And the tower officer called in. He called inside. He said, I've got five inmates that just walked into the tree line outside of the prison. So at this point, we're calling the, the, the state patrol. We're calling um, we're calling the, the central office in the state capitol. They checked these woods high and dry. They didn't find any inmates that walked into the woods. He couldn't be any more certain he saw five inmates wearing white shirts and blue pants walk into the tree line we counted a hundred times right after that there were no inmates missing from the inside so that kind of just and this was where he saw these inmates was right outside the rec yard and there were a lot of inmates that just a lot of violent a lot of violence and uh deaths that happened on the uh that happened on the rec yard out there so that kind of like a I would say that's kind of a dark spot, man. A lot of uh, one thing I always I always talk about is energy. There's just a lot of bad energy there. I don't think I've talked to a single person that has worked inside of a prison that didn't have some type of uh, paranormal story. Yeah, it's and like I just said, it's just it's just a bad place, man. And uh, that specific prison I worked at, there was just a lot of people dying, a lot of people killing themselves, just a lot of bad juju, a lot of just a, if it's going to happen, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in a place like that for sure. Yeah. Well, buddy, I appreciate you coming on. Of course, you're from the Brohio podcast. And, yeah, uh, don't tell anybody. I would think most of our listeners probably already listen or they've been offended and don't listen. But yeah. They've all at least given it a shot, I would think. Right. And, uh, one uh if you do come listen just keep in mind that i kept it at about a three with jerry just now normally my co-host rob dog and i were completely off the off the hook man we're talking about pooping our pants and uh what we think vaginas look like we're talking about all kinds of horrible nasty stuff so i know you got a lot of uh you got a lot of wholesome, pure listeners. So if they're not into the the X-rated kind of nasty, disgusting junior high humor, uh, there's a lot of cool podcasts out there. 
especially this one, Hillbilly Horror Stories. But we, we may not be the show for you if uh, <laughs> you're if you're trying to be able to go to church on Sunday and feel good about it. Absolutely not. <laughs> this is actually maybe the most subdued I've ever heard. You, you, you. At the beginning, I was thinking, man, Nick sounds like one of these. One of these uh, DJs that that hosts the radio station at night, and hey, you're listening to the cool Magic 100 here, and that's what I was, that's the vibe I was getting from you. If you could uh, see me right now, I'm in my basement. I got all the lights off in the basement, and I got like an alien green strobe light lit up behind me. I've consumed no marijuanas today. I'm not drunk. <laughs> I um, I was upstairs, kind of. The kids have this bench that they or this little uh, stool that they stand on to get on the pisser and get stuff down from the from the bathroom. My wife was on the phone and I was standing on it and I was doing yoga moves, just trying to take deep breaths, deep meditation. <laughs> Dude, I don't know what the fuck I was doing. Well, I know what I was doing. My blood pressure's through the roof, and sometimes I just like to take a few deep breaths. And I was doing some yoga, so maybe it chilled me out, man. Maybe I need to try that, try it more often. Yeah, you're like the. Uh... You're like the uh, that one teacher on uh, Beavis and Butthead, the science teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so wearing some Jerusalem cruiser sandals. Right. All hey, right, buddy. It was good having you on. Well, real quick, man. I'm going on vacation to Pigeon Forge here in a couple weeks. What what what, what do you recommend me? Where, where should I take this beautiful family of mine? Oh, man. There's a thousand different things to do down there. Uh, we're actually going to be down there in two weeks. August, I'm sorry, October 2nd is when I'm going to be there. That's when we're coming back, Okay, believe it or not. So, gotcha. uh, yeah, well, I don't, I, everything, everything family-related down okay. there, man. That's the good thing about Pigeon Forge and uh, and Gatlinburg. Everything is family-related. Well, there's a couple of shops in, in Gatlinburg that's popped up over the last 10 years that are hemp places and uh, adult novelty stores, but those <laughs> things didn't used to be there. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, as far as, like, I mean, there's a thousand different types of putt-putt and uh, whitewater rafting, which is it's a tough time of the year to do that. They'll yeah, still fuck do it, that, Jerry. Old... I'm I've got a I am fat and out of shape. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to die in the river with my kids watching. <laughs> but uh, all kinds of go kart places. That's the that's the cool stuff to do. And and if your kids are up for it, uh, they do a really good ghost uh, uh, ghost tour in downtown Gatlinburg. It's a yeah. good little walk. It's not scary. It's, you know, a cool little thing. But if they're into that kind of thing, they actually need to give a really good ghost tour down there. Oh, they'd be fucking terrified. There's and no the aqu- way. And the aquarium is the best. And the aquarium's actually voted the best aquarium in the in the country. Okay. We're we're definitely going to check out the aquarium and the, the pirate theater deal. So. Yeah, the pirate theater's cool. Uh, Dolly owns that. Yeah. And, uh, Huge so tits. It's, it's just like the Dixie one that she's got, except it's a pirate, pirate theme. But, yeah, yeah, all the shows down really there, man, you can't go wrong it. with any of them. All right, buddy. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. All right, later. Yep. Well, Tracy, were those some creepy stories or what? They were very creepy. And you see what I mean about Nick being a little subdued as to what he knew? He, he was. He was. <laughs> and that's, that's not a bad thing. It was pretty nice. But, you know, we love our Nick, so. All right, well. That's all we got for you this week. Don't forget, if you guys uh, would like to advertise on Hillbilly Horror Story, send me a message. I'll send you a price list out. Uh, so far, the people who have done it have had really good results, and uh, they said that I can feel free to share those numbers with good. you if you want. So that makes us happy. So got stuff starting as cheap as twenty five dollars uh, for advertising packages. So if you got like an Etsy account, or if you've got, uh, I know some people got Sensi accounts and 
all that stuff, whatever, whatever you might be selling online. Or if you've got a podcast and you just want to try to get some more listeners, um, hit us up and I'll send you a price list. Thank you guys. And we'll see you next week. Hope you all have a blessed week. We love you.